0: Hey everyone, I'm Yasmin Nori and you're listening to the Behind Her Empire podcast. I'm on a mission to showcase successful self-made women who share honest stories and lessons of what it really takes to create the life you want and build your own empire. If you've been listening to the show, you know, just like you, I've been on my own personal journey to build my empire. I've recently started a new business called BIA that helps women tackle their period problems and hormonal imbalances using a natural whole foods approach. If you're suffering from extreme cramps, irregular periods, fatigue, bloating, stay tuned because a little bit later in the podcast, I'll share a bit more about BIA. But for now, let's jump into today's episode. I want to welcome this week's guest, Kylie Kavako Rec, to our show today. Kylie is a skincare entrepreneur and founder CEO of Knockout Beauty, a full service beauty business that is focused on conscious beauty for the modern minded. After turning 40, Kylie felt like she had something to share with the world. In 2015, she was struggling with her own skin issues and wanted to share her personal skin journey and knowledge she learned with women everywhere and started an Instagram account called Knocking on 40 she immediately struck a chord with followers and garnered a large community of women who were also looking for a more holistic approach to skincare. And a year later, Kylie left her very successful career as a brand strategist and launched her first knockout beauty store in 2016. Fast forward to today, she now has a booming direct-to-consumer business and retail locations both in New York and LA. Kylie is passionate about helping women look and feel like their best selves in all stages of life, which is why I love her and we get along so well. On today's episode, we talk about a bunch of topics ranging from the power of having an abundance mindset in life and shifting away from fear that can hold so many of us down, how to build resilience and grit to deal with the hard things in life that we all experience, how to test an idea and prove out a business concept before going all in, and most importantly, why your health and well-being is so key, especially when going after your big goals and your dreams. Welcome to the show, Kylie. Thank you for having me. It's such an honor to be here. Well, I'm excited. I know we met at a dinner and we caught up at a coffee shop a few weeks ago and we were chatting for hours. So I knew immediately you are just such a bright light, such an inspiration and you have such a unique journey that I think is really going to resonate with a lot of the women on here. So I am thrilled to have you on and I'm so excited to jump into it. Thank you so much. I would say that you also
1: bring that out in people. So I'm thrilled to be here and be your guest.
0: Thank you. Well, I want to start with a higher level question. You've mentioned that one of the biggest mistakes you've made was living with a scarcity mindset. Can you talk to us more about this and why you think this mindset is holding people back?
2: I
1: think mindset in general is a great predictor of success. And I think when we think about this idea of success, one of the things that we understand is actually that it's really resilience and grit. That will actually be the predictors of success. And it's not how much you have or how much you don't have, right? And what we understand about scarcity and abundance is that they're purely just the way that we perceive the situation. And when we get into a scarcity mindset, it's almost like a feedback loop where it continues to affirm the scarcity. And the same thing holds true, actually, if we go for the place of abundance. Right? So, I think this idea of scarcity mentality in general, why I felt it was a mistake, why I feel it's a mistake, is because it's just a choice. It's not necessarily a reality. And I think that in reality, we actually have a lot of opportunity, much more than we think we do. We can accomplish much more than we think we can if we give ourselves enough time to do it. And if we plan it properly, we can accomplish something. And I think scarcity stops us from making plans. And I think it stops us from being in the mindset of effective. So I think that's for me, what has been my struggle with the conversation for myself around scarcity and abundance. And I feel strongly that, When you're in communication with the world around you, people can feel that. People can, people will say like, oh, I can smell the desperation on that person, right? And I listen to a lot of podcasts, yours included, and I listen to a lot of brilliant people talk about experience and about what has supported them. And one of the things that people will say is that their mindset was the biggest support. The other thing that people will say is, ironically, a lot of people who aren't even in sales will say, we're all kind of in sales, right? And so if we're all in sales, if we have a scarcity mentality, what are we selling, right? So I think that kind of, and then obviously owning a retail store and a retail geared business, you have to believe in abundance. You have to believe there's lots of options, lots of customers, lots of opportunity. Otherwise, why are you doing it? So that's been my sort of shift and also, I think just in general, my work.
0: I love this because I meet with a lot of entrepreneurs and one thing that I've really noticed and you've touched on this is really the importance of mindset. And like you said, the abundance driven mindset, and that is hundred percent the silver lining amongst everyone, but I do still meet with a lot of amazing women who are in that fear-based mentality. And listen, starting a business, you know, this in COVID during retail, like I'm still very new in my journey. You have those really tough moments where it's tough to kind of switch out of that mindset. And I know it's a muscle that can get you through it, but I'm curious, you know, what are one or two things that kind of help you shift away from those dark moments? Is it friends? Is it a certain ritual? Because we all kind of get stuck there and it's those that can get out and have the tools that can really make an impact. I love this question.
1: I am, I'll first say that anything I say, if it has any stroke of brilliance, it's probably not my own. This is probably coming from someone else and someone else's thought or someone else's idea. And I will try and give you the route to it so that you can research it yourself or the listener can, because I think it's important to be able to learn from the greats. And so I, when I think about mindset, one of the things that I look at is who's really good at helping with mindset. What kind of person? And to me, that's an athletic coach. Mm. Everyone seems to be very familiar with John Wooden, who was the coach of the UCLA men's basketball. And so fascinating. So many incredible tips about mindset. But he coaches men. And I don't coach men. And I don't talk to men, really. I mean, I do. And I love men, obviously. And I have my husband and my dad and, and my son. But I... Primarily, my business is geared toward women, and I'm talking to women. Most of my team is women. And actually, it's primarily women, except for my dad. It is women. So I started to look into women who coach women. And I'm fascinated by this woman. Her name is Pat Summit. And Pat Summit coached the Lady Volunteers, the basketball team, University of Tennessee. She was a career coach. She coached for 40 years. She had, for her, players, more fans in the stand exponentially than the number one NBA team Wow, in fans. So while that is extraordinary, what also is extraordinary about her is she also had a 100% graduation rate. In her 40 years of coaching, every single player that she coached graduated from University of Tennessee. And of those people, a great portion of those became coaches themselves. And that was so inspiring to me, which led me to a path of finding this woman named Kara Lawson. And Kara Lawson was one of her players and also is now the coach of the Duke women's basketball team. And she talks about this idea of things not getting easier. And in fact, nothing will get easier. And if we're waiting for things to get easier, number one, it's never going to happen And number two, putting my spin on it, if we're waiting for things to get easier, what's going to happen is we're going to miss a lot of amazing moments. Mm. So what we need to do is become someone who handles hard better. So when we talk about mindset and we talk about where do I go or who do I turn to, it's people that are working on those things with other people, people coaching other people. And with the great world of the internet, And connectivity through all our devices, we can go to that source. So it might be reading a book or it might be listening to a podcast or watching a great video. This moment that I'm talking about, that Carol Lawson speaks to her players, is actually a video on YouTube that anyone can watch. And this idea of handling hard better is to me something I like to remind myself of. I don't want to be someone who. Is waiting for it to be easy. Mm -hmm. I don't want to do anything because it's easy. I want to do it because it's worth it and it's exciting. And a lot of those things are hard. And I want to be someone who handles hard well because I think if you handle hard well, again, this is not something that she says, but this is something I believe in. Is if you handle hard well, you become the person that people look to in crisis. They look to for leadership and. I think that when you are somebody that people look to, you are able to create safety among many things. And that shifts your ability to change your mindset. Because if you feel safe, you can actually do a lot of things. You can create. But that's not to say you have to be fearless, right? It's doing it with fear. But I think if you know that someone can be in it with you and do the hard work and do the hard things, that's the person you want on your team. That's who you want in your foxhole with you.
0: out of commission for at least a week every single month, and that adds up to three months in every year. Other than feeling frustrated that my really bad periods were keeping me from pursuing my actual goals, I knew that something wasn't right Seed cycling is the simple process of using food as medicine to naturally support your hormones. It uses four different types of seeds, yes, actual seeds, throughout your menstrual cycle to support the balance of hormones like progesterone and estrogen, If you or anyone you know has been struggling with hormonal imbalances or bad periods, go to beawellness.com slash free. Once again, it's beawellness.com slash free to download our free guide to our top tips in tackling hormonal imbalances and to learn more about our Seed Cycling Bundle. We included this link in the show notes along with a promo code for $10 off for all of our Behind Her Empire listeners. I know you're going to love Seed Cycling just as much as I do. Thanks for listening. Listening, and now let's get back to the show. And that just threw in this idea that came to mind. It's a little bit of a tangent, but it just reminded me. You know, I feel like a lot of people want to build that big business or go after that big goal, whether it's like a podcast, you want to write a book. And I think you know what you touched upon about nothing gets easier; it just gets harder. My philosophy is you start somewhere because you build that resilience, right? Like for me, I am growing and stretching as we grow, and it's always hard, but it's a blessing because we're growing. So I think you have to go in with that mentality because if you want to be that, however way you define success, you need to start somewhere and learn how to deal with hard. Because like you said, safety doesn't allow you to do anything. You just live an easy life. And You know, maybe that's for you. It really depends on what you want. But I just love that. I also want to talk about your parents because they both, especially your mom, I mean, and your dad, both of them are powerhouse people. And I just would love to hear a little bit more about your upbringing because I really think it's impacted and influenced the women you are today. And I'm personally inspired by both of them as well. Thank you.
1: They are very interesting humans. They were very ahead of their time while still staying current. My mother used to say that the right thing at the wrong time is still the wrong thing. So, if you're too ahead of your time, then you're not the right thing in that moment. And to be able to simultaneously be directional, so they were both in fashion, and when we talk about sort of the idea of trends or the idea of what we're watching, we talk about it in terms of something be being sort of commercial which is what's happening now. It's what everyone sort of can can do or directional people that are leading it. And I think it's really interesting to have that meeting of both directional and commercial and art and commerce. And they were very skilled at that. And I think it's because they both put things that I really value, but I think humans value at the forefront. So my mom always put humanity at the forefront. And she always wanted to make sure that everybody who had worked on something received credit. Mm. So they were stylists when I was young and she had worked at magazines for a long time. She recognized that the hair and makeup got credit. The photographer got credit, but the stylist did not. And so she actually called a meeting with her fellow stylists and they banded together. And after that point, stylists always got credit, which is kind of cool.
0: Yeah, it is. And I know your mom and I'm trying to recall what part of her career this was, but she became pregnant with you. Did she get promoted before or after when she was editor in chief? I mean, we're talking about like the generation before us. I mean, that is, I'd love to hear more about that story. So she
1: was, so I was conceived in 1976. I was born in 1977. So I'm 45. In 1976, it was, I mean, look, we're looking at only a few very short years after the Equal Credit Act, right? So we're talking about a moment when women could not even have a credit card if they were not married. And if they wanted to open a bank account, they had to ask their husband. I mean, this is talking about, this is nuts. So this idea of, Being a woman in business and having a family was really not happening at that moment in time. And she was working at Vogue and she went to the doctor. This was in the moment of modesty, you know, where they had like a a little screen in the room and she wasn't feeling well. And the doctor said, well, the good news is, is that nothing's wrong. And she said, oh, good. And he was like, there's more news. (laughs) And she's like, oh yeah. And she said, he said, yeah, you're having a baby. And she, from the behind the screen said, that's a problem. And he said, it's a problem. Why? What's what's wrong? And he said, she said, well, I've just been offered fashion director of American Vogue.
2: Mm.
1: And he like apparently reached behind the screen. He was like, that is a problem. But she was 35 at the time. So at that age, that moment, That was like, if she was, if she was going to have a baby, that was the time, that was the opportunity. So she did. And I think that she took that as an opportunity to become an entrepreneur, to go out on her own. She'd always been an entrepreneur, but she had gone back to working at magazines again, back to a feeling of safety, right. And feeling protected. And she recognized that in order to have the life that she wanted and to create the life that she wanted to create, she probably couldn't do it at a magazine. Ironically, when she passed away, my dad went back to a magazine. So, I mean, there you have it. My life has obviously been meant to go in that media world.
0: I'm just so fascinated with both your parents. I appreciate you kind of digging in there. And it's just crazy to think about how much has even changed in, you know, a few generations. It's mind blowing. And I hope, you know, there's women like you who are running businesses, have an amazing family that are setting the example. And I'm just so excited to see like what the future generation of women are going to be like. But I want to also talk about your career, right? So you grew up with both of these high powered parents who are in fashion and you had quite a varied career before you started Knockout Beauty. So I'd love to just hear maybe a little bit more about that and where and how the fascination of skin kind of came into play.
1: When I was 18, I ended up having quite intense acne on my forehead.
0: I think when we
1: don't have the tools, whether it be a human or the research, to know what to do, we go towards something that will fix it. And we go... Toward often the thing that's new or seems successful. So at 18, I went on Accutane. Now, I told you my mom died when I was 13. So I certainly had enough to be depressed about. I had enough to be having a moment about. And not until I went on Accutane did I experience really intense emotional cursive thoughts. And why that's important is because it showed me that there's a large relationship between what you're putting in your body and how you're feeling. And you can put something in your body and affect the outside of your body. And I started to understand that sometimes by changing one thing, you're borrowed from Peter to pay Paul. Mm. So while I was insecure about my skin and feeling sensitive about my skin, and i don't ever want anyone to have to live with that. I also never want a young person to be thinking about suicide. Suicidal ideation is just absolutely something that's off the, that's off the table for me when it comes to anything, to be honest, there's always something will always get better. There's always hope. And there have been studies that say that it's not connected to Accutane. And so I have not personally launched a study on it. I can only give you my anecdotal evidence. At the time, they hadn't made that connection yet, which is fascinating to me. Look, I also think I probably had the propensity toward that based on things that had happened in my life. I think I became interested in skin and beauty from a point of view of my childhood and that kind of the artistic side of it, the this incredibly kind of transformative side of it that exists, the health side of it and what you put inside and outside from this Accutane piece. But then I think as I got older and started to really have some other pretty serious concerns of my own with my skin, which ended up being melasma, I traced that back and can see that the Accutane affected my lipid profile Mm. and topically speaking. And I can also see that the combination of the Accutane mixed with lasers was not a good combination mixed with also the care that I was receiving, right? So that post care and the information and the guidance around those things. I'm not saying don't take Accutane. I'm not saying don't use a laser. What I'm saying is know what you're getting into and then adjust accordingly, right? So what fascinates me is Really, when we arrive at the place of Accutane, what are we talking about? We're talking about a deficiency in vitamin A. And we're talking about working on the deficiency in an accelerated manner, right? And that's also what's happening with a laser, right? We're accelerating the process. And sometimes, because we want the result to happen quickly, we actually end up throwing off the balance. Yeah. And So my whole vision around skincare is related to balance. It's related to deficiencies and making sure that we are optimized and looking at what's the cost benefit analysis of whatever I'm going to invoke, right? Like what what is it that I want to bring into my space? And that's fascinating to me. And I think that the agency in that is exciting to me. I'm not saying you shouldn't do anything. You should just know what you're getting into and what's the toxic load of it. What is the outcome? And then how do you treat it?
0: Absolutely. And, you know, I think to your point of just being educated around anything you take, like very similar to your story, except mine was all around taking birth control, getting off birth control, had horrible acne, like let alone bad PMS, cramps. I mean, all my listeners kind of know about my journey a bit, but I was actually considering Accutane. I tried, I thought at the time, everything. Thankfully, I didn't because my body was already probably not in a good state post-birth control. But I think, like you said, it's just good to be educated about different options. And it's just fascinating because you started a business, kind of the root cause is really a problem that you face. And I did as well, right? So hopefully we will just continue to, Educate people on the power and the agency they have, and just all these other options that are available. So, kind of going back to 2015, so you started this Instagram account, right? Just from like, I'm curious to get your thoughts, like inspiration about turning 40. You had zero followers at the time. Tell me more about what was really the inspiration around starting that page because so much kind of came. Your career very much shifted shortly after that. It was actually done as a study. I was doing brand strategy at the time,
1: and I would meet with brands, and I would talk to people and I would think to myself now before this is people weren't really talking about authenticity at that point but I was linking like if this was any less authentic this would be challenging I mean it was like wow really just don't want to share you don't want to actually connect and without connection you don't have a brand Mm. and I found that I would give brands advice and they would take it partially. Much like skincare and health and wellness, you can't expect the result if you're only going to do it partially. So I thought I'm going to do this and take my own advice. And I'm going to do it following exactly what I am proposing to my clients. And it took over, and I no longer have those clients (laughs) in business. So it's interesting because. I think about social media, Instagram in particular, this idea of followers, and likes, and all this stuff. And followers does not necessarily equal conversion. And when we think about people's followers, or we think about a business's followers, a very small portion of those people are actually converted. What's very interesting to me and what became very interesting to me when I started my Instagram the first time was knocking on 40 is what it was called, the amount of either conversion that I would see from things I would talk about, or just the connection that was happening with people. And the real truth bombs created higher connection and higher conversion.
0: Yeah. And I know that's, you know, one of your superpowers, especially with Knockout Beauty, which ended up being your business. It's just like you being very real, showing up as yourself, taking all your makeup off, really talking about your problem skin at the time. But, you know, I'm curious if you were to kind of wrap up, you know, maybe one or two things that you've learned through your journey in terms of like brand and building authenticity and community. I know that was a lot in there that I threw in. So maybe we just stick to like community? Because I think, like you mentioned, you do a really good job fostering that because it's not all about the likes and the followers. It's like, how engaged are you with your family, right? Like the Knockout Beauty followers are family. I think about that for my business too. Kind of looking back at your journey, are there one or two things that you would kind of say really stand out to foster that? I think one of them is to talk
1: to the people that you are communicating with. I find sometimes I'll listen to myself back and I'll think, oh, Yeah. Oh my god! I
0: feel the same way.
2: <laughs>
1: and it's just, it's painful. And so my goal is to connect, hopefully, in a place where I'm talking to you. When we talk about tips or things that I think we can look toward or look to or mistakes I've made that we can learn from, yeah. I think to be as, as open as you can be, to be as mindful as you can be. I talked a little bit about Pat Summit earlier, the great coach. And she has this sort of idea. She calls them the definitive dozen. And one of her definitive dozen is she says, discipline yourself so that no one else has to. When I think about that idea, if we're disciplining ourselves, then we're not being corrected, we're being led and coached. And I think that being an entrepreneur requires discipline. Mm. It requires you staying the course because there's no one else to tell you. There's no one to come and say, okay, let's go. Let's get this up. Let's make this happen. There sometimes is. And I would say in any opportunity that you can find those people in your world, hire them, right? Find those people that are going to be able to coach you and keep you on your path. One of the incredible women that you have interviewed, Mary Ruth Guy, she's so inspiring to me. And she talks all about her time management and literally listening to her. It makes me feel like I could make anything happen.
0: Yeah. Right. I know. I I truly, she is
1: so inspiring. I mean, her story is so inspiring. And I think if we also think about people who have done something before us and think about there's probably one thing that they've done really, really well. If we can just take a little bit of that and add that in a little bit every day, whatever that looks like, as we get further down the pike, we will have great gains. So when we think about disciplining ourselves, like Pat Summit would say, so that others don't have to, a little bit of extra discipline every day, whatever that looks like. And if we take the words of Mary Ruth, and say, okay, I'm going to really devote this specific time to this and look at it with the idea that my full attention is going to go on this for this amount of time. That's so inspiring to me. What I would say is my greatest teachers are the women that have come before me doing the things that I felt like I could never do. And those women often want to share with you and want to talk and want to help. And if you can find even one person to just talk to for five seconds and get their one salient tip, whoever that is in your life, whatever that looks like, because it doesn't even have to be related to an entrepreneur. It could be somebody who is really an embodiment of health and wellness. What are you doing every day? What's your like one thing that you do? And I have that with you. And I asked you all about these seeds, right? And they've changed my life. These seeds. So
0: I think that there's
1: there's power in being led, not just leading.
0: Yeah, and I think just you know seeing from afar and doing research about you and your company, and this community you built. You've touched upon a few of these things, but the discipline you had to really show up and be vulnerable. And one thing you kind of chuckled on, but I think it's worth talking about you felt uncomfortable watching yourself, right? I still, to this day, don't enjoy listening to my voice. And I think it goes back to what we talked about in the beginning of the podcast is still having the fear or not necessarily quote unquote enjoying it, but we do it anyway. We still show up. And I think you still show up and you be vulnerable and you're very authentic with yourself. And also you're always adding value in one sense or the other. So I think that's great. And of course, discipline is huge, right? You showing up, being yourself, even before you add the business, All characteristics you took to eventually building knockout beauty from your social media. But, you know, I'm curious. So, you mentioned that this Instagram was purely just an experiment because you were giving all these suggestions to different brands. At what point were you like, this is going to be my next thing? I'm going to start a business around it.
1: There wasn't quite an aha moment, like, oh, this is going to be my business. But what happened, the first thing that happened was people would message me and say, I'd like to meet you. And I thought, Oh, how bizarre. How would we even make that happen? Was I just going to go on coffee dates with people? I mean, maybe I should have. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, wouldn't it be cool if there was like somewhere for people to go and talk about these things? Not even to talk to me, just to talk to anybody. And it seemed like beauty was the foil for the communication and the conversation. So I sort of set out to like create a community center. <laughs> so that was the initial aha moment of that. When I realized it was going to be a job, was that I thought it was just going to be a pop-up, honestly, for the summer. And I had an idea in my mind of the amount of money it had to make. I had a number.
0: And the number is based on you leaving your past job, like you needed to make a certain amount? Or how did you think about that number? I
1: thought about it as proof of concept. Okay. Right. So this number would indicate that there's a need, a white space or something that, I could go into, but by the way, didn't think it was going to be a job. I don't know what I thought. I was in a place in my life where I could take a risk and I could find something different. Did it initially at a in a very low risk manner. I think that there was a a moment where when I came up with that number, it was really about what is a realistic expectation of what this business can do. It did four times that.
0: And do you remember that initial number? Are you open to sharing it or kind of what you were thinking about at the time? And it could be a range. It was exponentially more than I put into it.
1: And so it wasn't just doubling it or tripling it. It was exponentially more. And it was because it was taking into consideration all the things it takes to make it happen.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: I think often when when people want to start a business and they think, okay, I'm breaking even, what are you considering when you're thinking you're breaking even? what are you really, really, really assessing of breaking even? There was this amazing conversation, of course, and I don't remember who said it and it bothers me because of course I like to give the person credit, but there was this conversation when there was a shortage in baby formula and someone said, oh, and she's probably so brilliant. And I mean, she is brilliant. Obviously she said this, she said, you know, they were saying breastfeeding is free. And the woman said, well, Yeah, assuming that you can and assuming that a woman's time is worth nothing. You're doing a cost-benefit analysis of break-even. Number one, what would you be doing otherwise, right? So what goes into the break-even in life? But also really looking at if you were doing something else that you liked as much as you would be doing, could you make the same amount more or less? And analyzing that. So you asked me the question of like, you know, to leave your other job. I was an independent contractor. So I was really just giving advice to people all the time. And that was great. But there's a lot of instability in that. I was able to figure out how to make it stable. It was hard to be held responsible for things that I thought, well, if you'd done it this way, wouldn't have been the outcome. Right. And. I think that that's not a great feeling to have. And I wanted to be able to put my head on my pillow at night and feel really good about it. Mm. And I think that being an entrepreneur doesn't allow you that, by the way, because yeah. it lets you put your head. So that's in a, a correct statement and correct statement, right? Yeah. You get to put your head on your pillow at night, being feeling really good about it, but you feel really stressed out about a lot of other things. And the work as an entrepreneur is to learn to put that to the side for the night and recognize there's nothing we can do about it. And staying awake at night and stressing out is not going to help you meet your goal. And in fact, recognizing one thing, even one way that you can manage it, support it, or transform it Mm -hmm. is a good way to go to sleep at night. I and that. I think when you're working with other people sometimes or working for other people, sometimes, especially if you're not part of their organization, it's hard to affect that change. So you can come up with the great idea or the great way to work around something, but if they're not going to do it, then you kind of get stuck where you are.
0: Yeah, no, a thousand percent. And what I appreciate about the way you did this is you were basically testing out the idea, right? You did a pop-up, you know, you're really following what brought you joy. And it was, you know, you were connecting with these women, building community, talking about something you're passionate about, really feeling like you had a solution to this problem of just how to educate other women. And you kind of started this pop-up shop and realized that there is an opportunity, which I love because I'm all about What is the cheapest way and the most fulfilling way to prove out your concept, right? Like I always talk about my example. We could have had the most beautiful website. We could have had so many different glamorous things that would have made us look amazing. But I knew, you know, I wanted to put the money in the product just to prove it out first before we take it to the next level. And it also makes it less intimidating, right? If you're like, I'm going to start this business it's just a lot of pressure on you and i think the way you thought about it in terms of let me just start with this and really just follow what gets me excited and look at the numbers right you weren't going in there without thinking through it and the fact that you know you did bring up break even i appreciate that because you are self-funded still to this date you know you have multiple retail locations you weathered covid which is not easy so you're a badass entrepreneur for like making it happen during all this so you know i'd love to talk a little bit more about this because similar to me, I had to adjust our pricing because I didn't want to break even. We're self-funded. I'm putting every dollar back in the business to make it work. I'd love to just kind of get your perspective around how you have funded this business and really have sustained itself over the years. Funding
1: can look like a lot of different things, right? And I think capital can look like a lot of different things, what that means. And I think we there's a traditional sense of it, obviously, which is money. And money that you are have in dollar bills or in credit or whatever you want to look at it as. There's also, as we know, there's sweat equity. There's also leverage of our assets that we have accumulated over time, but there's also leverage of our prior experience and our prior relationships. So it's looking at all the things that come in to the picture to fill out what it is that you can accomplish based on what your specific opportunity is. Robert Kiyosaki, who wrote Rich Dad, Poor Dad, will talk about this idea of, it's not if I can afford it, it's how I can afford it. That really resonated with me when I started the business. I thought of it as there's a need and I'm filling it. And So then I thought about it as how do I fill the need? What does that look like? So at the time there were no beauty stores in the Hamptons and I felt like there should be one. Now there's tons. So obviously I'm not the only person that ended up thinking that was a good idea. We launched the same year that another store called Botanica Bazaar launched. They were more health driven. Not that we weren't, but I think we were both caught up in that moment in time of The greenwashing of things, that's what people were talking about. So they were sort of like the idea of this sexy French pharmacy mixed with wellness. And we were sort of like high-end beauty mixed with wellness. And what I think about this idea of funding is, or capital or whatever is like, what are they funding? Who are they funding? Right? I think I wanted to make sure I would invest in this. So that was the first piece of it. And as I continue, I'm inspired by, again, someone like a Mary Ruth who wrote her own term sheet, right? Because when you're taking money from people, you have to do things their way. And there's a lot of things that I believe in when it comes to skincare that's very different. And it's my own belief system that affects how our community engages with skincare. And I think that's why we're so result driven. At each stage, I've wanted to build something with the concept or the idea of investing in it, myself investing in it. And the more I become invested in it, the more I also become less interested in having someone else have a say in it. So, a strategic partner, I think, would be very interesting, right? I think people that bring something to the table, that's a different conversation, right? Someone who can give a business scope. I think is very interesting, you know, and I think capital is really important when your ideas exceed your financial runway and your ability to execute on them exceeds your financial runway.
0: Absolutely. And you have also thoughtfully built out the business and just similar to the life cycle of your customer, it's a long-term relationship. It's slow and steady. It's about consistency. So I just see like, that's the way you've also built the business, which is very similar. My philosophy is like, do one thing really well. And then, you know, you are expanding based on that. And now you're fully invested in it. And, you know, maybe a strategic partner might be a good fit. Um, It's something you're exploring, but I think like that slow and steady game is really valuable. And I think we don't talk about it enough. And of course, everybody has different metrics of success and what they want want to build. Of course, if you're building like a hardware or a tech company, raising money makes sense. But I just love to kind of speak through your journey because I think we don't talk about enough of just slow growth because I think it's really important. Well, I think,
1: you know, when we think about growth and about anything that we do and results, right, we're talking really about the good habits being applied consistently and diligence being applied consistently there's that book that everyone's really fascinated by right now atomic habits because it's tiny little things that create a large change if we're able to employ them regularly when we think about a business there's a great example in the book where he talks about the writer talks about this idea of an ice cube and at 26 degrees with 1 degree change to 27 degrees nothing happens right and so as we in a business, adjust the temperature a little bit, a lot of times we don't see a change right away. And a lot of times we're adjusting the temperature and still it's like, what's still not happening? What's happening here? And when we have people on our back, it's very hard to say to the person like, hang on a minute, trust my process here. Right. But there's that critical shift between 31 degrees and 32 degrees. where The ice cube is no longer an ice cube right? So it's that critical mass moment where we have put our energy towards something for long enough, we've been diligent enough to create the change. Mm. And I think when we are looking at a business and growing a business and slow and steady, it may appear slow and steady because it's happening incrementally, but then there's a critical mass moment change. And when I think about my business or I go back into it, we think about COVID or we think about all the insanity that happened. We were locked down with no access to either of our stores or any of our three stores actually at that time. And we actually had to close one of them during lately. We've since reopened four times the size, but we had to close one here. And thank goodness it was so close to my home and I was able to move everything into my garage. And there was a moment where this was like, oh, my goodness, this is like a slog. What? I mean, it was every day. It was. And also, by the way, simultaneously profoundly grateful that I even had orders to fill. Yes. Right. So this dichotomy exists the whole time. And the greatest dichotomy that exists, I think, for a female entrepreneur is business and family. For me, anyway, that was one of my biggest Difficulties. And I was unwilling, I am unwilling to sacrifice my children's childhood and my opportunity to be their mother at the expense of my well being, their well being. I'm unwilling to do that for a business. And you talked about my mom earlier on in the podcast, and we talked a little about fear. And I think my greatest fear. And also my greatest joy would be simultaneously becoming her. And my fear is to become her because she died when she was 48, right? And she died because, I think she died because she was scared probably, which is a wild thing to think about, right? I think she was deeply afraid of intervention, But she was also afraid to tell the world that she had breast cancer because in business, being unwell, who wants you to be the person that's their PR person if you have cancer and who knows what's going to happen to you? And I'm going to sign a contract with you, right? So I think she feared and put so much pressure on herself Mm. and created so much oxidative stress inside her body and so many free radicals. And that's just food for cancer. You know, we talk about mindset a lot. And in beauty and wellness, we talk a lot about genetics and this idea of epigenetics, right? And that we have the agency to change our genetics and the the expression of our genetics by what we introduce into the environment. And mindset feels to me like the epigenetics of our overall disposition right that we can change whatever comes our way and i think when i think about growth and i think about how things need to happen if we are growing at the expense of our well-being yeah or growing at the expense of our mindset or growing at the expense of the community around us the people who work with us that's not okay
0: what you were just saying in terms of it's not worth you building a business or building really anything in your life if, if it's at the expense of your mindset, your well being, and your health, and just really seeing how your mom's passing really impacted you in that way. And, you know, I've had my own journey just seeing other people get sick because of certain stress. And luckily, I was able to stop it in my own life because I lived a very stressful life where I got sick all the time. I think that's just a good reminder of so many people. It's like, how can you build a business where your team is happy, you're happy, right? People forget that. Like, you need to stay inspired and fulfilled. And that's just important. So I think you just said it so eloquently. And I probably could talk to you for much, much longer. But it was such a joy having you on. And it was so great to see you, Kylie. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It was such a pleasure to speak to you today.